again, we're so thankful to everyone that helped out, participated. And I know that uh, you were worn out, and but worn out for Jesus. So tonight we won't hold you too long. Let's, uh, let's go to God in prayer, please. Dear Heavenly Father, we are so thankful to you for your rich blessings and your grace. We just ask, Lord God, that you will bless us as we worship you, praying that our worship will be pleasing and acceptable in your sight in accordance to your will and your way, that we might forever remember Jesus, your great Son, who died on that cruel cross of Calvary. It's in his wonderful name we do pray and thank thee for be thy name, my will. Amen. <clears throat> Matthew 27, please. In life... Um, I found at times that there are some things that my ears uh, weren't ready to hear. Right? Blind eyes and deaf ears. We talked about we talked about deaf ears last week. But then, in addition to that, there are times that there have been things that my eyes haven't really wanted to see, and so I close my eyes. Have you ever done that? To the reality. Maybe not necessarily am I closing my eyes to the truth, but I close my eyes to the reality that is right in front of me because I just don't want to see it. Maybe I'm not ready to see it. Maybe the blinders are because uh, the truth is just too much to digest or I just don't want to talk about it. Maybe you've been there before. Tonight I want to talk about just blinding our, our eyes. To the truth. So here's a a man in Matthew 27 uh, who blinded his eyes to the truth. The truth that was right there in front of him. Now we can talk about a lot of things. But I want to just start out with old, old Pilate. In verse 19. And while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent to him saying, have nothing to do with that righteous man. For last night I suffered greatly in a dream because of him. So here's what I'm assuming. I'm assuming that Pilate, like most relationships, talked to his wife, got her advice, asked her for some wisdom. And they talked about this man named Jesus. Not just on this night or or a few days before, but... Jesus had created uh, a, much of a stir in the area, an uprising in the sense of, uh, it's different though, an uprising of good. This man of Nazareth is going around from town to town and he's converting people, he's changing the hearts of people. And the government says, you know, that's for the good of Rome, if you think about it, he's not saying to be unruly citizens, but rather to be ruly citizens, follow the laws of the land and and be righteous people. But the problem really is the Jews. They don't like this guy. And so he's a he's kind of a Jewish issue, not really a, a Gentile issue. So what really do we have to do with Jesus? He's not really bothering us. And then the question, when you think about Jesus and you hear the reports about Jesus, it's only the, the Sanhedrin, the religious council who constantly try to aggravate and irritate and control Rome or control the governor, Pilate. 
What are we going to do with Jesus? Here's a man standing right in front of you who is obviously uniquely different from everyone else in the way that he handles problems and trials and the way that he stands up to wickedness and evil in a way that he shows love and displays righteous judgment. And now he's standing before Pilate. And Pilate's wife sends a message, as we just read, and the message that she sent was, have nothing to do with that righteous man. So it wasn't something that was hidden, right? It wasn't hidden in the dark. Everybody knew he was a righteous man. But some just closed their eyes to the truth. I'll look at that in a moment as to why these, the Sanhedrin, the scribes, the Pharisees, etc., the Essenes and those, why they closed their eyes to the truth. What blinded them? You know, what was that blinding effect in their, in their minds that, that caused them just to, maybe you might say, turn a blind eye, right? What caused them to turn a blind eye? Look at verse 20. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the multitudes to ask for Barabbas and to put Jesus to death. Now this morning I mentioned common sense. And I, and now we're talking about righteousness. Now, now who came up with the idea? I know here's, here's the rule. The law, one man gets, uh, or tradition, should I say, one man's released in place of another. Now, now imagine the, the next Bible study, right? When you, you, that the Pharisees and uh, the, you know, the Sanhedrin, let me just say that. The Jews, they, they have with the Gentiles. They say, you know, um, we want to talk to you about righteousness. Now, I don't know if I want to hear anything that they have to say regarding righteousness. I would close my ears and my eyes to that. You know why? There's nothing righteous about these folks when they choose a man like Barabbas to replace a righteous man like Jesus. Well, what was it that made the Sanhedrin go along with this idea that we'll take a man that is an insurrectionist, a man who's a murderer, a man who's wicked, a man who's evil, and replace him with Jesus? Now, I know that's another sermon within itself. But how in the world can you call yourself a, re- a religious person and go for something like that? And these are the so-called leaders of the day, someone wonders, you know, how's our world all messed up? Well, here's a good example of it right now. Right before our eyes. Who came up with that good idea? So now Pilate is in a position where he has to go home to his wife and say, well, I know you had a dream. She goes, I didn't just have a dream. Look back at verse 19. Listen to what she said about her dream. And while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent um, to him saying, have nothing to do with that righteous man. For last night I suffered greatly in a dream because of him. Now, think about what that conversation may have gone like. Wait, you chose the Jews over me? <laughs> I mean, I, I'm telling you what happened to me. That, that there was this dream that I had experienced and I suffered greatly in the dream because you are being unrighteous, you are being unreasonable, you are holding a righteous man. We've talked about that man and we have already declared him innocent. 
You've got to do the right thing, Pilate. You have to do the right thing. Verse 18, please. For he knew. See, this is where you've got to close your eyes to what you know is true. See, this is what he did. For he knew that because of envy they delivered him up. Not because he was a sinner. Not because he had done wrong, but because they were envious of him. All the people were following him. He gave the people hope. He spoke as a man with authority. He was different from everyone else. He was a leader among leaders. And they didn't measure up. So Pilate was able to see clearly through this that they delivered him up because they were envious of him. His wife is suffering terribly in a dream. Pilate has examined him. I can't find anything wrong with him. Herod has examined him. We can't find anything wrong with him. So what are you going to do, Pilate? Are you going to close your eyes to the truth? Are you going to blind your eyes? Church, I'll tell you, this is a terrible place to be in. Where you have to make a decision to do the right thing or close your eyes. It's a terrible place to be in. Because it's a place that no Christian should ever be. You should never have to make a decision to do the right thing or close your eyes. Your eyes always have to be open. Right, church? Right? Even when it points back itself. I remember looking in the mirror this morning. Even when I look in the mirror, I don't like what I see. I, I don't need to close my eyes and turn my head and walk away. I, I need to confront the truth. And Pilate was not strong enough to confront that truth. Truth was standing right in front of him. I'm going to come back to that in just a moment. It was because of envy. I'm going, to, I'm going to go to a verse, John 11. I don't think it's on the slide. John 11, I'm going to go there because he confronted the truth. He knew the people were envious and that's why they delivered him over. And I asked the question earlier, well, what about these people? What made them decide what they decided? What, what put in their hearts this idea? What was wrong with them? Why did they close their eyes to Jesus? Why did they do that? This morning I mentioned John chapter 3. Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night and he says, For we know that you are from God. We know that you are from God. We had all this evidence in front of us. No man can do what you do unless he's from God. There's no question in our mind. Did they know Nicodemus? Was Nicodemus only speaking of a, a small splinter group of the Sanhedrin? No. no. He was talking about all of them. Listen to what else is said. Here's the high priest. Verse uh, 47. Therefore the chief priests and the Pharisees convened a council and were saying, what are we doing? For this man is performing many signs, miracles. What are we doing, people? I mean, what a question. I mean, we look out and we've never seen anything like this in our lives. See, it was 400 years of darkness, right? We call it that. It's not really dark. Daniel talks about that whole time period for the 400 years uh, before Jesus Christ came on the scene. He gave us a prophetic utterance, but the idea that we say when we say it's 400 years of darkness, there was no prophet in that time, but there were prophecies that were being fulfilled during that time. But the one thing that was missing during those 400 years 
There were no miracles. Right? There's no miraculous event occurring. Lots of events are, are occurring. You have the, the Maccabees, the Arcanus brothers, you have Antioch's Epiphanies, you have the, the Roman Empire coming to power, and you have the, the Greeks uh, falling apart and breaking into four splinter groups and then dividing into two and two major groups, the Ptolemies and the Seleucids. And, you know, you got all this history, right? You know, Mark Anthony, you got all this history. Just go to the book of Daniel. And he talks about all these things that are about to happen. And so the people were uh, anticipating... The Messiah, 250 B.C., the, the great library is uh, established in the Bible. The Holy Scriptures are translated from Hebrew and Aramaic into Greek. And everybody's expecting the Messiah. And here he is. They've got to figure out what they're going to do about this. Do we close our eyes to what all the prophecies are saying... What do we do about this? They convene a council. They came together to decide what we're going to do. We are witnessing miracles performed by a man that should not be possible. It's never happened in our day, and he has to be from God. So what are we going to do about this? I know, let's close our eyes. Let's close our eyes to what we know to be true. So here's what they say, verse uh, 48. If we let him go on like this, all men will believe in him. And here's the motive. And if that happens, the text says, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. So we can't let this happen. Truth has nothing to do with this. Right? I mean, we, we don't care about the truth. We're, we're not looking into the, the mirror. Of, we're not thinking about truth. Who cares about truth? We only care about our, our positions, our, our money, our nation. We don't care about God. God doesn't matter. We only care about, care about our position and our money and our nation. And our, hmm. Closed their eyes because of self, didn't they? Selfishness, right? Envy was in their hearts. Verse 49. But a certain one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all, nor do you take into account that it is expedient for one, one man should die for the people and that the whole nation should perish. And then this is God using that, that evil, right? Verse 51. Now this he did not say on his own initiative, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus was going to die for the nation. While they're over there being evil, you have Annas, the high priest, and you have Caiaphas, who are sharing the the priestly, you know, office, which really shouldn't be the case. But anyway, uh, they're not not following God. And he prophesies that, you know, it's better that one man die than the whole nation dies. Doesn't even know he prophesied. They close their eyes. They closed their eyes to the truth. And Jesus didn't just die in this prophecy. He didn't just die for the Jews. Verse 52, And not for the nation only, but that he might also gather together into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. So from that day on, they planned together to kill him. So here, here Pilate is, is, is in this position where he has to decide, let's go back to Luke uh, 23, 
He has to decide, so what am I going to do with Jesus? So they want Barabbas. They want this, this man that is, is, he needs to die because he's an insurrectionist. Uh, they were concerned about, uh, about the Caesar, right? Any man that makes himself out to be a king is no friend of Caesar. Well, what about, what about Barabbas? I mean, Barabbas is trying to take the nation over. Well, you know, I know he's trying to take over Rome, but, you know, we're going to overlook that to try to find our own type of peace. He completely closed his eyes to the truth that was right before him. In Luke 23, beginning at verse 13, Pilate summoned the the chief priests and the rulers and the people and said to them, You brought this man to me as one who incites the people to rebellion. And behold, having examined him before you, I have found no guilt in this man regarding the charges which you make against him. So what, what do we what do you do at that point, right? I mean, if a man's innocent, let him go. What are you going to do at this point? Do we close our eyes or do we stand up, be counted? Verse 15. Nor, no, nor has Herod, for he sent him back to us. Behold, nothing deserving of death has been done by him. Now, now, we're thankful to God. We're thankful to God. We're saddened, but we're thankful to God that God made a sacrifice, and the sacrifice was God himself to save us. We, we need that. Thank you, God. But what a terrible situation. And the situation is so terrible that here's a man who's declared innocent by the judge, the governor. He's innocent. He's innocent. I can find nothing in him. Herod the king can find nothing in him. There's nothing wrong with Jesus. You folks have it wrong. But to make peace, I'll close my eyes. Here's a suggestion. Here's what I'll do. Verse 16. Won't I just punish him? And then release him. Well, why are you going to punish an innocent man? You just declared him innocent. Your wife told you he's innocent. Everyone's told you he's innocent. You can't find anything wrong with him. Why would you punish an innocent man? Because they closed their eyes. You see how wickedness just can just take over and, and just ruin an entire people. Let it never be said that we close our eyes to the truth. Even though sometimes the truth might hurt. And then it goes on in verse 21. It goes on to say, But they kept on calling out saying, Crucify, crucify him. And he said to them the third time, Why, what evil has this man done? Three times? Three You're you're arguing with these people who have no desire for truth or justice. They're just envious and wicked trying to save their nation. You know it. You see it. There's clarity in your mind and in your heart. And you try three times to convince them that they're wrong. But you're the judge, man. You get to make the decision. But instead, he closed his eyes. And he said in verse 22 to them a third time, Why, what evil has this man done? I have found no guilt demanding death. 
I will therefore punish him and release him. And you know the end of the account. He scourged Jesus. He had him scourged. Roman rule. Nearly beaten to death with the scourging, with the whip. With the bones and the nails attached to it. The irony at the cross. Have I ever closed my eyes to the truth? So much so to where it has tremendously hindered, handicapped, and even injured someone else because I wanted to believe my own lie. And then, the next question is, the things I've done in my life that I know sent Jesus to the cross, have I repented yet? Or am I going to keep those secret and take them to the grave with me? Don't want to do that. So tonight, John chapter 8 and verse 32, and then I'm going to let you go. I I told you I would, and we'll come back when I finish. We'll come back. You shall know the truth. And the truth shall set you free. Here's what I'm going to leave you tonight. If there's something in your life that you know is true and you know it's right and you need to make a change, but you're worried about all the people in the auditorium, you've followed the wrong God. Because the people in the auditorium do not matter when it comes to your relationship with God. Only God matters. And so I'm looking forward to and a few weeks out, talking about the Isle of Shame. The Isle of Shame. It's a shame to repent and admit that I've done something wrong. May I leave you this tonight. Do not allow Satan to dig into your life and cause you to close your eyes to what you know you've got to make right with God. The lesson is yours tonight. If you are struggling, we can pray with you or pray for you. If you um, tonight would like to surrender to Christ, In the waters of baptism, if there's anything we can do to help, please make it known while together we stand and sing our song of invitation.
my sins. 